Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to frito to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Three mistakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. This is the Falcoholic Podcast, the official podcast of the Atlanta Falcons on the SB Nation Podcast Network. I am David Walker. You can call me DW. And today we are back with a normal-ish podcast. We're not talking about COVID-19 today. We are going to talk about things going on in this 2020 NFL offseason. And joining me today is one of the writers at the Falcoholic, the one and only Adnan Ikic. Adnan, how are you doing, man? Um, I'm hanging in there. No, I'm, I'm kidding. It's, it's fine. Uh, we have the draft coming up next week, so we have some sports to look forward to. But I actually prefer the, uh, the quarantine podcasts. Those yeah. were a lot of fun. They were a lot of fun. We, we're going to revisit that here in the near future um, and possibly as part of the draft. We'll see who's available. Uh, but, yeah, that, uh, really enjoyed those, and I think uh, our, our listeners responded well to those as well. So uh, let's jump straight into it because we've got a few things to talk about, and you and I are going to just dive into these topics a little bit, just let it loose. Uh, the first thing, and it's it sort of hit um, in the middle of last week uh, and earlier than I think uh, the Falcons had intended, and that is the new uniforms. It's been, I believe, 17 or 18 years since the Falcons have revamped their uniforms. Uh, so this was a long time coming. They had been talking about, they started hyping this, I believe, back in January. And we had found out a few weeks ago that the unveil was going to be April 14th or 15th, I believe. But um, some pictures started leaking online of what the uniforms are going to look like. And like the next day, they had to unveil them like a week early, which I'm sure they were a little mortified about. But uh, they're out there. They're legitimate. Um, you can start ordering the jerseys now, although from what I've seen, the delivery dates have, are pushing out to June and July for obvious reasons. Um, and I'm not the one to start here. Uh, what was your thoughts on the uniforms when you first saw them? Uh, did you love them? Did you hate them? You know, what, what's your, your complete take on uh, the outfits and what, what you're seeing there? I think the first thing that I thought when I saw the uniforms was don't rush to judgment right away because uh, the majority consensus with uh, a lot of people around the NFL was that they weren't that good. But the thing about it is that whenever there's a uniform unveil, I don't remember the last time there was a uniform reveal where people really loved it. There was like a mass like number of people loving it. But the thing that uh, what matters is how they look on the fields, not how they look in pictures. And I think that they're going to look really, really nice on the field. 
in the Mercedes-Benz Stadium with the Falcons logo, with the Atlanta skyline in the background on a beautiful sunny fall afternoon Sunday. And my favorite uniforms are the whites, personally. Uh, yeah. The white on white is just such a clean look uh, with the ATL across the chest. The white jerseys and the red pants is probably my personal favorite. Mm. Those just look so nice. And the one thing that I really don't like about it is no red helmets. Uh, uh, yep. That's something that I was real. I really had my heart set on the the red helmets because I'm just picturing the red helmets with each of these uniforms, and I think every single one of them look a lot would look a lot better with the red helmets. Now the NFL could um, change the rule of multiple helmets. Right now, they only allow one one helmet per season per team. Yeah. And if that happens, then we'll, we'll get the red for a couple of games, which will be really nice. But I, I really had my heart set on the primary red helmets. Yeah. And uh, if I could just put my tinfoil hat on and be a conspiracy theorist right now, <laughs> I, I don't know if that leak was accidental because the uniforms leaked. So they got released a, a bit earlier, a little earlier. And now they went on sale, what, yesterday, right in time for those stimulus checks from the government <laughs> to arrive. So I, I'm sure that bolstered sales oh. quite a bit. Um, <laughs> also, one final note uh, on, on the uniforms, the black jerseys. I'm glad that black is going to be the primary color. Again, mm-hmm. it would have been really nice with the red helmets. But, you know, that's just going to be a drum I'm going to keep beating. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, that's going to be – that's going to be slick. That's going to be really nice to see. And even the red gradients, people did not like them at first, but I, I mean, they're kind of growing on me a little bit, seeing the picture of Todd Gurley and the red gradient that he tweeted out, seeing the, uh, the images surfacing on Twitter uh, of the players and the red gradients. I mean, I, I feel like even those are unis that, that, you know, they're going to really grow on me. And if you hate them, there are, I think, our color rush uniforms, so you won't have to see them very much. I think right. once every maybe two years or something like that. But o- overall, it's a nice modern look. And, you know, I- I'm excited about them. I'm excited to see them in action at the Benz uh, this season. Yeah. Um, I- I'll tell you, the, uh, the, where the red helmets are concerned, uh, Brett Jukes, who's, who works for the Falcons, um, who we interact with a lot on Twitter, he has said that, you know, the reason it didn't happen is because of the league rules uh, for the helmets. But if that changes, then he does believe the red helmets uh, will make uh, a comeback. So, um, and ladies and gentlemen, I want to welcome also to the podcast, um, Tomothy Thunder. Wait a minute. I feel like that's not the right name. Is that, is that Thomas Dimitrov? Well, I urgently needed to get on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> we we have the one and only GM of the Atlanta Falcons, Thomas Dimitrov, joining us for uh, this Falcoholic podcast. Mr. Dimitrov, how are you doing in the preparation for the NFL draft next week? Well, you know, I've been thinking a lot about staying put at number 16, um, but I also feel like there's just so much talent in this class that, that we could move down 
anywhere from number 17 to 32, but also so much talent that we could move up uh, anywhere from number one to number 15. So, you know, really looking at all the scenarios right now, um, we could trade for any player at any time. I could trade for a major league baseball prospect <laughs> and to pick in that draft class. So this is a lot of power you understand to have, um, and so I'm just uh, doing my best here from my home office with my one IT guy trapped in my basement. <laughs> Mr. Dimitrov, uh, it's such a pleasure to have you on the show. Let me ask you just one question about the draft. Would you rather take uh, a hit from a lead pipe to the knee or trade back at any point in the first round in your career? Well, let me tell you something. Um, <laughs> You know, both of those options sound unappealing to me, but you've got to make the best of the situation you're in. Um, so for me, given the option between trading down in the first round, something that I have never done, um, no one in my family has ever considered, going back to the days before football was played and we traded drafts for no real reason, um, I would take the lead pipe, um, but it would also interfere with my ability to bicycle. So I would try to trade that hit from a lead pipe um, something else and i might move up to get that so to answer your question neither <laughs> oh my god um i i know you're very busy mr dimitrov and we have uh the the editor of the falcoholic dave choate waiting on another line so we're going to bring him in thank you for joining us today uh good luck in the nfl draft next week and please god don't screw this up I appreciate the sentiment very much, um, and I will remind you that we could trade anywhere from 1 to 15. <laughs> we could trade from 17 to 32, and then we could trade back to 16 if we wanted to. So a lot of options on the table. We'll do our best. Godspeed, Mr. Dimitrov. Ladies and gentlemen, GM of the Falcons, Thomas Dimitrov. Uh, and joining us on the Falcoholic Podcast uh, to finish out the conversation about the uniforms, free agency, and the draft is the one and only Dave Choate. Dave, I think we have you on the line. Are you there? Uh, yeah, I'm here. Uh, hey, Dave, Dave, you wouldn't believe who just joined us. Uh, was it uh, Dan Quinn? It, mm, it was not. No? Okay. Then I, <laughs> then I don't really care. All right, let's go. <laughs> <laughs> All right. On that note, uh, Dave, before you joined, we were talking about the uniforms. Adnan gave his take on the new unis and uh, finished off with his conspiracy theory about why they dropped early. Stimulus checks involved deep state conspiracy type stuff here. I want to ask you, what was your take? And now that you've had a little bit of time to sort of digest these new uniforms, um, maybe what was your initial take and has it changed in the past several days? Yeah, I'd say it has. Um, so, you know, when I first saw them um, from those four, you know, cell phone photos in a room with kind of a lackluster carpet and snack selection, um, you know, <laughs> they, didn't, they didn't look great. But, you know, my initial reaction to that um, was always going to be, I knew as soon as I saw the uniforms, one way or another, um, you know, I probably wasn't going to love them right away. That's just how these things work, right? It's a major change. Um, these, these uniforms in particular certainly are a major change. So um, it was almost better to see them that way first and be like, Ugh. Um, and then really see the whole launch. And of course the, the team, 
you got to give them a lot of credit when they do something like this, like the presentation on it is insanely good. The production yeah. is good. Talented team over there. So, you know, seeing it really the, the way it was meant to be seen after that and after I kind of digested that for a little bit, um, I ended up liking them quite a bit. I, I think the black uniforms and the all white um, look terrific. I think the gradient um, it's grown on me a little. It's still not my favorite, but, you know, that's neither here nor there. Um, and, and I think really at this point, the, the only thing that I'm not a huge fan of, I guess, is just the oversized Falcons logo on the helmet. And it's a small thing. I, I think once we get used to these, once we see them in motion, um, I think most fans will end up liking them. Um, I think personally that overall it's an improvement over what the Falcons had mm-hmm. selfishly. And because I'm old as, as, as shit, um, <laughs> I wanted to see the throwbacks um, be the main uniforms again. I would have loved to have gone back to, you know, the 98 era um, full scale. But since that wasn't happening, I, I ended up liking these quite a bit. And, and I think that uh, as time goes on, they'll grow on me more. What's so funny to me is of all of the, uniforms they showed i actually loved the gradient the most so i maybe i'm in the minority and i saw a few people who said the same thing on twitter saying uh you know because it seemed like everyone was slamming uh the gradient and i actually really really liked it uh of course i'm a child of the 80s and 90s so i guess maybe that's you know the (laughs) the part of the reason there like gradient came out of that era but uh i i when I saw them, I wasn't particularly passionate one way or the other. I really didn't comment much on them, but I felt like they were a, a good step forward. Um, I don't get really excited or upset over the uniforms, so I, I didn't completely understand um, the whole furor over that. But I, I guess now that I've had some time, I can understand why why fans get passionate about it. You know, the going back into the you know for the franchise going into the '90s and the '80s. Uh, there are a lot of fans that are really invested. They, they put their money into buying these uniforms, sometimes spending literally hundreds of dollars for a Jersey uh, in the new uniform in the first year or a $1,200 stimulus check. Yeah. <laughs> as Clearly as. I missed something here. I, I, that's yeah, uh, Adnan's uh, conspiracy theory is that the, uh, they, they leaked the pictures themselves early so that they could, uh, uh, put the sales up in time for the stimulus checks to hit. Um, so, hmm. okay. Um, you know, uh, there have been more insane things that have happened. So I'll <laughs> take that <and> try. <laughs> all right. Uniform talk aside, we're going to move on to, uh, uh, I just want to say one thing though, DW, because okay. you love the red gradients. I feel like you now have to fight our own Evan Birchfield because he <laughs> hates them. He was very passionate against them, so I think now we have to have a Falcoholic steel cage match. I would be very careful about that because I believe Evan's Florida, and we know that Florida fighting is a whole different breed. <laughs> that is and so true. Chance. Yeah, I, I wouldn't stand a chance against a Florida man. That's uh, I think that's a that's a given. Um, rip DW. Uh, <laughs> all right. Before we get into the draft, though, I, I do want to do a quick recap because uh, the last time we had a podcast, uh, the Falcons had made some moves, but they had not made uh, all of the moves that they're going to make in free agency, at least for the first wave. You know, obviously, free agency is ongoing, but for the for the big moves, we got to the chance to talk a little bit about Dante Fowler. 
Um, but I wanted to revisit some of these moves real quick and get some thoughts now that some time has passed, now that we see you know, the, the cap hit for these players, we see how they fit into the overall structure of what's going on in 2020. Uh, so Dave, I'll start with you here first. Um, the three things I want to touch on, number one, they kept Alan Bailey by restructuring his contract, adding another year. Uh, a little bit of a surprising move, I think is, is fair to say. Number two, obviously they signed Dante Fowler uh, to a contract that was very friendly in year one. And obviously uh, years two and three see a significant increase in the cap. Uh, and then they, they signed Todd Gurley, uh, who will have a roughly a $6 million cap hit in 2020. So real quick, what are your thoughts on those three moves, Alan Bailey, Dante Fowler, Todd Gurley? Um, so the Fowler pick, you know, pick up rather not pick, um, was one that, that grew on me um, a little bit. You know, on paper, Fowler is just a stupendous fit for this team, right? He's coming off a great year where he was very productive and not just like, you know, got a bunch of lucky sacks productive, but, um, you know, he's still very young. He has a connection to Dan Quinn. He's hungry to prove himself. Mm-hmm. This is still like a fairly short-term deal, so it's not like he's going to lack some motivation. Not that he would necessarily either, but, um, but you know, that one year of production is the thing that always scares me. Um, you know, if, if you're paying a guy because all of a sudden he's turned the corner in a contract year in any sport, I think that's a risk, right? We know sure. that. Um, so I look at that and, and I was a little bit worried about that, but I do think they had to get a deal done with a free agent pass rusher. I think Fowler was probably the best fit out there. Um, certainly Quinn at the years and price point um, that he was at, you know, probably I would have liked it more initially. And the more time I thought about it, I would have been like, eh. um, so I like that move. I think it was a good move. I think keeping Bailey, it puzzled me based on the year that he had last year. Um, mm-hmm. if you, you look at it. I, I thought that he legitimately had the worst year of any, um, you know, I don't want to say full-time, but rotational member of that defensive line. He just did not have a good season. But I also think that that has to be considered in the frame of, you know, he missed a little bit of time there with, with um, injuries and issues that were going on um, that we never heard much about, um, which is probably for the best. So you look at the track record that he's had over the entirety of his career, he's always been a good player. Um, he's always played at a pretty high level. Um, he's versatile. He's a useful guy against the run. He's a, a decent pass rusher. And the Falcons probably thought, you know, last year's a little bit of a fluke. We want to keep him around, especially because they're losing depth. So I think it's a defensible move. Um, I think the worst case scenario is that it ends up being Derek Shelby 2.0 and he never really does anything. Mm, yeah. That wouldn't be great because they don't have a lot else uh, to fall back on, you know, um, in terms of proven defensive linemen. Um, and then Gurley, you know, my thoughts on Gurley are pretty well known at this point. He's <laughs> extremely talented. Um, you know, if he was totally healthy and you got him for $5 million, I'd be jumping up and down. I don't know if that's going to be the case. Um, I think we saw last year that he just wasn't quite the same player. The Rams treated him really weirdly. And as weird as the Rams are as an organization, I think that's a warning sign. Um, so I, I'm setting my expectations for him at, you know, sort of a little bit better than this past year's Freeman campaign. 
Um, and if we get more than that and he turns out to be phenomenal, then that'll be fantastic. I'd love to see him do it. He's a great guy. He is a talent. Um, I'm just not going to go into the season expecting a totally healthy, you know, 2017 peak Todd Gurley. Um, so, you know, all three of those signings, in other words, um, not to be long-winded about it like I just was, um, pretty decent, pretty solid. Um, didn't necessarily move the needle for me and my expectations for this team. Um, but Fowler in particular I thought was a good addition. Excellent. Uh, Adnan, same question to you. Uh, all three guys, Alan Bailey, Dante Fowler, Todd Gurley, what are your thoughts? Um, Alan Bailey, I was surprised that they kept because I figured it was a foregone conclusion that he'd be a cap casualty because he was going to save, I think, $5 million against the cap, yep. something like that. But they extended him. They worked something out with his money. And, I mean, it's not the worst move ever to keep him because he had a very very poor year last year, but based on his track record in his entire career, which is a much larger sample size, I think Dan Quinn trusts him to uh, coach him up a little bit and for him to be maybe a decent number three, number four pass rusher, rotational player. So, uh, I mean, the more I looked at it uh, after the restructure, after giving him the slight extension to lower the cap hit, the less I hated keeping Alan Bailey. So hopefully he goes out there next year and gets more than the one sack he had this past season because yeah, 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 we're going to need it. Um, Dante Fowler. I, I talked uh, about it pretty much at length on the last podcast. Uh, It's a move which could make or break the tenure of Dan Quinn and Thomas Dimitrov here in Atlanta. I think they're really staking themselves to, to Dante Fowler and this is now their fork in the road. Um, Fowler last year the the thing about it he had a career year last year uh, going into a contract year which always gives people pause um, so but that's that's one thing where he's not the same as Vic Beasley for everyone drawing the Vic Beasley comparison Beasley peaked early and then he progressively got worse and he completely stagnated whereas Dante Fowler got better and better throughout the course of his career. And last year, not only did he have a career high in sacks, but he also had a career high in tackles for loss and uh, a career high in run stops based on PFF's uh, grade. So he he was a very plus run defender. I think he had like 32 run stops or something like that. And while he won't be next to Aaron Donald anymore, who in my opinion is the best football player in the world, along with Patrick Mahomes, they're 1A and 1B for me. Um, he's still next to a very elite defensive tackle in Grady Jarrett, and maybe yes. even maybe even some more, uh, you know, defensive line bolstering after the draft. So we'll see. We'll see exactly. Maybe they get a guy like Kinlaw or something like that in the draft, which will make things even better uh, for Dante Fowler. Todd Gurley. This is where I, I'd really like to speak a little bit because I uh, talked about it on the Falcoholic Live show, but we haven't gotten the chance to talk about it on the podcast since this mm-hmm. move got made. Um, I, I understand it. He has arthritis in his knees and arthritis does not get better. And the word arthritis is absolutely terrifying, especially for a running back, but looking at it last year and I went really in depth about it on a uh, 2019 comparison article between he and Devonte Freeman. He had overall a better year than Devonte Freeman. When you take everything into account, Freeman was the better receiving back. Uh, Gurley was the better uh, rushing back in terms of pure running. 
And Todd Gurley was behind the 26th worst offensive line in regard to run blocking in the NFL. Mm. The Atlanta Falcons were, or not the 26th worst, the 26th overall, my mistake. So the sixth worst offensive line in regard to run blocking, PFF grade. The Falcons were 11th in the NFL last year in run blocking. So above average, uh, as bad as the Falcons were in run blocking. They were still they were still much better than the Rams, who were absolutely horrendous. The wow. the one spot where I'm really really excited about Todd Gurley, if he can stay healthy, and they will have to put him on a bit of a snap count. He's not going to be the Todd Gurley of 2017. Those days are done. But we're not paying him to be the Todd Gurley of 2017, and we don't need him to be that Todd Gurley for us to have success. But one thing that the arthritis has not affected are his instincts uh, when it comes to short yardage situations. Short yardage is something that we've been banging our head against with Atlanta Falcons running backs for years. And let me read you off some stats from Todd Gurley in regards to his short yardage stats last year. He finished ninth in the NFL in percentage of touchdowns scored on runs inside the 10. So I think out of 27 carries inside the 10 yard line, he scored 10 touchdowns, 10 out of 27 I, I think only Zeke Elliott had more runs inside the 10 wow. than Todd Gurley did last year. And he was, stat. he was ninth in the NFL in that. And what's even more exciting, uh, on percentage of, run, of first down runs converted on third and short runs, which is defined as third down and three yards or less, Todd Gurley was fourth in the NFL on percentage of those runs converted. Only Derrick Henry, Dalvin Cook, and Lamar Jackson were more efficient when it came to running the ball on third down and short than Todd Gurley was last Mm. year, despite the fact that he was behind an absolutely horrendous offensive line, which battled injuries, which battled regression, and which battled predictability, uh, along with uh, Jared Goff, who's a very average quarterback. So if the Atlanta Falcons can somehow keep Todd Gurley healthy, and again, it will have to be a snap count. He won't be out there being a bell cow running back. This could be the best short yardage running back the Falcons have had since Michael Turner in his heyday in 2008 through 2011. You know, he was here in 2012. He still had double-digit touchdowns, but he had lost a step in 2012. This has an opportunity to be a significant upgrade at the running back position for the Falcons next year. So I'm pretty excited about the Todd Gurley move. I'm banging that drum. Yeah. Um, You can only get it here on the Falcoholic podcast folks Adnan dropping the advanced stats I love it thank you for coming with that that was fantastic uh my quick thoughts Bailey eh, I'm not passionate or dispassionate about him Uh, I feel like he's a depth piece he's a veteran which I think is going to be important in a season that is going to likely be disrupted by uh, everything going on in the world Um, and that that counts for something how much I'm not sure uh, Dante Fowler, this signing has grown on me a lot, uh, mainly because of the price tag. I felt like the Falcons did a great job with the contract structure. Uh, they can get out after you know just a couple years and, and, and be in fine shape. And then Todd Gurley, um, I feel better after hearing what Adnan had to say. <laughs> so we'll, we'll see if he can stay healthy. I, I do think the Falcons are going to look at a large stable of running backs uh, this year. Uh, to help uh, bolster the depth behind him. Uh, it does make me wonder whether or not uh, the, the depth is a concern for the front office. As you know, um, 
Oh gosh. Uh, Edo Smith, uh, you know, he suffered an injury at the end of his season last year. It makes me wonder how well that injury is coming along. Obviously we will keep track of it at thefalcoholic.com and keep you guys updated, but that is something to monitor uh, as well because, you know, the team clearly has a lot of running backs at this point and we'll, we'll see what happens with that. All right. Second half of the podcast, we're going to talk about the upcoming NFL draft, which starts on April 23rd. Uh, But before we get into that and the topics we're going to discuss, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. We're back on the Falcoholic Podcast. This is David Walker. I am joined by Dave Choate, the editor of the Falcoholic, and Adnan Ikic, my favorite writer at the site. Don't tell anybody I said that. Um, and we're going to jump into the 2020 NFL Draft. And I feel like this is now the point of the draft season where the smoke screens are in full effect. Uh, Dave, you and I talked about this in our chat the other day. Just the fact that like this is it happens every year and it's effective. Um, teams put out fake feelers for what they're going to do to try to get other teams to jump or, or get nervous. And I do think that there is a certain amount of success that they have with that, even though they do it every single year. Um, and I think this year the talk is about, of course, will the Falcons under Thomas Dimitrov trade up? in the first round. We never hear them talk about trading down because for all of the stuff that he's done, Thomas Dimitrov has never once traded back in the first round. Not once he's done it in, in later rounds, but not once in the first round has he traded back. Uh, But he has of course, multiple times traded up in the first round, whether it was the blockbuster uh, Julio Jones trade whether it was the uh, less uh, blockbuster trade to move up to get a, a player like Desmond Trufant, he has made moves to move up in the past. So first question for the NFL draft 2020, uh, Adnan, I'll start with you on this one. Make the case for Thomas Dimitrov. We're going to start off with him staying put at 16. No trades, not trading back, not trading up. I want you to, to, to give us why the GM of the Falcons should just stay put in this draft class. Well, I feel like if Thomas Dimitrov stays put and doesn't trade up or down, he'll break out into hives in a rash. <laughs> That's entirely possible. <laughs> like, well, we'll just see him in his basement, just like scratching himself, just, just looking, looking for, for a fix. Um, but uh, in all honesty, at number 16, the Atlanta Falcons should be able to come away with an impact defensive player if they stay put at 16, whether that be a C.J. Henderson, I don't know. There, there have been rumblings that he's been rising on draft boards. Whether, that, whether even Javon Kinlaw ends up falling down at number 16 is an absolute dream scenario. 
I think the way that this draft is shaking out, you could possibly have four tackles, four offensive linemen go before the Atlanta Falcons pick in the first 15. You could possibly have four quarterbacks go. Uh, it's a foregone conclusion that Joe Burrow is going to go number one. Two is going to be top five. Herbert's going to uh, go before the Falcons pick. And I think there's been talks that Jordan Love is rising on draft boards. Maybe the Oakland Raiders take him at 12. Maybe they don't know if he'll be there at 19 or not. Apparently the Raiders really like Jordan Love. If And also you have the three wide receivers, Ruggs, uh, Jerry Judy, and C.D. Lamb, who all should be going before the Atlanta Falcons pick at 16. And if one of them is there at 16, I know I'm doing a terrible job right now, but if one of them is there, the Falcons need to trade back with one of those wide receiver hungry mm. teams. But, you know, I'm sure Thomas Dimitrov would rather take a rusty nail through the hand than to ever trade back in his life. <laughs> um, but, but basically, the point I'm trying to get at it here is if you stay put at 16, you, you'll have one of, the, one of the players that will fill a need and who will make your defense better. Uh, maybe it's Kalevon Chason. Maybe it's C.J. Henderson. Kinlaw, maybe. I don't think Derek Brown or uh, Isaiah Simmons are going to be dropping, but I mean, that's okay. And also don't, if don't, you don't have to trade up. This team has so many needs to fill on defense, especially this team still needs a cornerback. This team still needs a linebacker. It needs more defensive line depth. It needs more safety depth. You traded uh, the second rounder for Hayden Hurst to cover your tight end need. That's fine. That's completely okay. But we can't afford to be burning second and third round picks, day two picks, when we have so many holes to plug. Mm. I mean, you can't just plug these holes with sixth rounders. You can't just hope to get lucky in the sixth round and then go out there and start a sixth round linebacker next next year or go out there and start Bleedy Ray Wilson as your week one uh, cornerback. So uh, if you stay put, you'll get what you want, you'll get what you need, and you'll still preserve those picks. Although I'd still rather you, you trade back and get, get some extra picks because you really have more needs. You're not just one piece away. Yeah, uh, excellent point. Dave, same question to you. Uh, if you're in the room and you're trying to convince Dimitrov to stay put at 16, what is, uh, what is it that you say to him to, to, tell, to convince him that Trader Thomas needs to take a back seat today? Dave, you're on mute. Now, Dave is speechless. He, he has nothing to say to Thomas Dimitri. <laughs> Sorry, you know, you know how these New England phones are. Um, <laughs> anyways, um, yeah, so if I was in the room with him and, you know, he didn't want to kill me for doing an impression of him, uh, <laughs> I would try to convince him that, you know, he's got a better chance of preserving his job and putting this organization in a position to succeed now and in the long term if he's patient. Um, I think it's going to be tough for him in particular this year because each of the last couple of years, I think there was an itch to move up for a certain guy, right? Um, we heard the rumors last year that it was Ed Oliver or maybe Christian Wilkins. Um, I think it was the year before that that Rashawn Evans was the the rumored target. And right. So the Falcons are after these impact defenders, and I think it's going to be very tempting for them to make sure they get that guy this year. I would argue that one of the impact defenders who can help this team will be there at 16. And I think 
this team has set themselves up so that they have, um, unfortunately, a major need, I think, on all three levels of the defense, right? So, obviously, I'd rather have Kinlaw um, than some of the other options that are available. But if you're sitting there at 16 and one of C.J. Henderson, Kinlaw, Chasson, um, or, you know, by some lucky stroke of genius, um, Derek Brown happened to fall to you at 16, I, I think it's almost a lock that one of those guys is going to get there. And all of those guys are going to be massive upgrades. Um, for your defense, and you're not going to put yourself in a position, you know, by staying at 16, where you now suddenly don't have a pick on the second day that you could have used to address one of those other needs, which are still just as pressing. They're not going away, right. and the Falcons don't have the money to address them, and you're not dipping into next year's draft capital. Um, you know, if, if the Falcons do well this year, if they really think that they can do well this year, um, you know, you're not going to want to be staring down, you know, and it, it's not going to be as bad as this, but, you know, the 2012 draft again, right, where you're missing a day one pick, you're missing other picks along the way, and you've got to trade around just to get back your draft capital and get where you need to go. I think this team has always been thinking that they're a piece or two away or that adding one more star to the group is going to push them over the top, and it's come close a couple of times. It's never actually happened, and I think that in his heart of hearts, he knows that unless he's got a, a shot at a guy that's, you know, completely transformative to this defense, um, which, you know, if Chase Young um, or Jeff Okuda happened to fall all the way to 10 or something like that, then you would certainly think about that. I think at that point, no matter what I said, you know, he'd have the hard eyes, he'd have steam shooting out from under his collar, he'd have to make that trade. Um, but, but failing that you just stay put, you get a good player. I think no matter what you keep your picks so you can get more good players, you benefit this year and you go into next year with a full set of picks, regardless of whether it's him or somebody else making those selections. Yeah. Uh, I, I think you both made a, a very strong case and honestly, I, I think the teams that have done the best in the draft consistently over time have been the ones that have stayed put or traded back. Uh, and I'm not even going to ask you guys to make the case for trading back because I feel like with Dimitrov, uh, it, it's a foregone conclusion that will not happen. <laughs> DW, you're being nice. Just tell it how it is. Yeah, it's Thomas, not going to happen. Th- Thomas Dimitrov would rather shit on his hands and clap than <laughs> back at any point in the first round in his life. Oh my God. He's been with us since 2008. So this will be uh, 12, 13 years now. He has not once traded back in the first round. So I would love to eat my words. Oh, I would love it, but it's not going to happen. Absolutely. Um, now, and we're covering this at the So again, you guys check out the site daily uh, for new content. We've got some fantastic articles there about the draft uh, from our stable of writers who do an amazing job with that. Uh, if the Falcons trade up, which let's be honest, we all believe that is a distinct possibility. Adnan, I want to start with you. If they trade up, who do you think they are targeting and who do you think they should target as a player to trade up for? Um, I think they trade up. It, it'll be someone, it'll be someone Dan Quinn really wants as well. So I don't think that, 
God forbid they trade it for a wide receiver. Let me just say that, first of all. <laughs> oh. <laughs> um, God, God there, there would be a meltdown. <laughs> uh, um, I think C.J. Henderson is a possibility, although I would be against that. Um, Devon Kinlaw is another player. It, it, if it's a small trade-up to assure that you get Javon Kinlaw, then I wouldn't be totally against it because Kinlaw is – He's one of the best pass rushing defensive tackles in this draft. Um, Derek Brown is another player if he falls far enough. Well, let me, I should have prefaced this uh, from the start. I would not trade up into the top five at all. I think it's way too expensive. You're not trading up to number two to draft Chase Young. You'll have to trade a litany of picks, uh, possibly even more than what you traded to get Julio Jones. But it's one of those things where if a player falls to 9, 10, 11, uh, Isaiah Simmons, for example, if he drops to 10, then, it, you know, he, he'd be he'd be such a high-impact player to the point where, you know what, go up, go up and get him. Um, also, the Falcons look like they're going all in in 2020, and Thomas Dimitrov possibly may not even be here next year to um, have to pay the piper, so to speak. So I think that they'll be looking at draft picks next year as uh, as trade as trading chips. Ooh. They'll be looking to keep their all of their picks for this year. But again, that's you you can dig yourself a, a really quick hole if you start draft if you start trading future draft picks uh, and you don't know what's going to happen moving forward. So I I mean, but you know what? Tell tell that to. I'm not someone who possibly has his job on the line uh, going into this season. So I, I'm, I'm speaking on that from a more objective uh, stance. Mm-hmm. But if Isaiah Simmons is there at 10 or 11, I, I'd possibly even support going up and getting him. A uh, small trade-up for Kinlaw, please don't trade-up for C.J. Henderson, even though I can see that as a real possibility. Dave, same question to you. If the trade-up happens... Uh, what player do you think they will be targeting and what player would you be in favor of them targeting? So they're definitely going for Joe Burrow. <laughs> oh man, <laughs> there it is. Uh, oh boy. <laughs> you, you heard Dimitrov say it himself, that you know, Joe Burrow would be on top of the draft board. So here it, here it comes straight up for the quarterback. <laughs> Going to get, uh, get that bum Matty Ice out of here. Um, <laughs> so, if I'm being serious and I was kind of being a quarter serious there because I'm really worried they're actually going to do the quarterback thing at the end of the day. Um, I think that if they're moving up, it's going to be for a guy like Kinlaw or Henderson. I think those are the obvious choices. I think going up into say the top five of this draft to really try to get a guy like young or Akuda is not going to happen. Um, it would just cost them too much. And, and, you know, I think that, sure, um, you know, Dimitrov may or may not be here next year. He likes to trade up anyways, but I'm sure he would like to be here next year. I'm sure that Rich McKay would like to be here next year and that Arthur Blank would prefer that his new stadium with new uniforms, et cetera, et cetera, um, you know, assuming it's open next year, um, will have fans in it. So, you know, it, it behooves them not to make a huge kind of home run type of swing for a guy who isn't certain and then set themselves up for, you know, a bad situation next year when they don't have the draft picks, if things go wrong as they probably will. 
So, you know, when I, when I look at this, I think it's probably going to be a short skip up anywhere from, you know, three to five to six picks. And it's going to be in pursuit of one of those guys. Um, but Kinlaw fills that huge need that they've had for a couple of years now to really pair Grady Jarrett with a dominant presence on the inside, um, especially against this current crop of quarterbacks in the NFC South. Every single one of them prefers to work in a clean pocket. And if you yep. collapse that, that's great. Kinlaw would solve that need immediately. I would be hugely in favor of making a short swap up for him if it comes to that. Um, and then Henderson is a guy that you can see Dan Quinn falling in love with, you know, Florida product, um, size, speed, you know, great fit, I think, for what the Falcons want from their corners. And they have a massive needed corner. I'm yeah. less convinced that they'll go up for the edge rusher um, with the investment in Fowler, um, with some of the pieces that they've added and, and think that they have um, even Steve means and John Kaminsky. I think they expect bigger roles for this year. Um, and I'm less convinced that they'll ultimately go for a linebacker, even if I do think they'll probably take one on day two. So to me, you know, unless they have some absolutely bonkers plan to get an offensive lineman again and try <laughs> to fix this thing, um, I, I think it's going to be down to, you know, cornerback, defensive tackle. And I think that Kinlaw and Henderson, you know, Anything else is overthinking it. Those are the guys that make the most. Yeah, for me, I think when it comes to the NFL, it is all about the quarterback. It's do you have the quarterback to take you into the future? Uh, obviously, the Falcons have Matt Ryan. I don't think they need to think about a replacement just yet. You know, he's, he's going to be 35 this year. They've got easily three or four years with Matt Ryan left, so it's a little bit early to start thinking about the future there. Um, but on the opposite side, it's all about the quarterback. That also includes taking down the quarterback. So if you're going to trade up, in my mind, you have to trade up for a guy who is either going to be that quarterback or who is going to take down the opposing quarterback. Um, and for me, Javon Kinlaw, fits the billing. As you mentioned, the interior pass rush is a critical component now in the NFL. That's why Aaron Donald is, uh, as Anand said, the best player in the NFL, that interior pass rush. He just, he is such a disruptor from up the middle. Um, someone like Chase on uh, potentially, it feels like he would maybe be there at 16. Uh, that feels like a little bit of a reach, but Again, if you hit on a pass rusher, no one's going to talk about you reaching from 16 to 12 to get uh, you know a guy who's got 16 sacks. They're going to uh, applaud you for that kind of move. The name that I feel like is not getting mentioned enough here and that I feel like is actually a real possibility for a target for a trade-up is Isaiah Simmons because of the nature of this draft class. After Simmons, the, the quality of the linebacker talent drops dramatically. Like, it, this is not 2016 where you had um, Deion Jones available to you in the second round, who's clearly a fantastic linebacker. And Simmons, to his credit, he is a player that has played all of the linebacker positions. He has played at safety. He actually lined up at corner in his time in college. This guy has freaky athletic speed, size. He is uh, maybe a, a generational player as far as linebacker is concerned. Uh, I feel like the Falcons 
could be secretly targeting him, but how far up they would have to move to get him, I'm not sure. Uh, and, and it's going to depend, you know, as Adnan mentioned, on how many of these uh, great wide receivers go early, how many of these quarterbacks go early. Uh, don't forget offensive tackle, we, you know, that is a position – that often goes early in the draft, and for good reason. It's another premier position in the NFL. The Falcons at 16, if they move up just five or six spots, they could have their pick of players like Kinlaw, Henderson, Chason, Simmons, uh, and arguably not go wrong with any of those guys. Uh, and in, in and they'll mind. take C.D. Lamb. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, that's – now I'm hurting. Thank you, Adnan. Uh, um, I agree completely with your assessment on Simmons, and I agree with Dave. I, I agree with both of you that you trade up for one of those premier positions, uh, someone who will – who either is your quarterback, will protect your – excuse me, who will protect your quarterback's blind side, or who will rush the opposing quarterback. Yep. But Simmons just looks like that generational linebacker to where – even though he doesn't play those premier positions, I, I still wouldn't mind. He runs a four three forty. He's so versatile. He's so good. He was the leader of that formidable Clemson defense last year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Simmons and Deion Jones next to each other would be so good uh, for uh, in the middle of this defense. And I wouldn't mind trading up for him as long as it's not a massive trade up. Um, I, I definitely don't want to trade our second round pick this year for. In, in, in any package because we really need it. Um, uh, we really need it to plug other holes because the second round picks should be day one starters and we need some day one starters in this draft. Remember mm. what Arthur Blank once said, I want three starters. So what we need, we need three starters again this year worked <laughs> in 2016. Let's do it again this year. But um, yeah, every single year they shock us with what they do every <laughs> single year. It's Last a consistent, year, Last year was Chris Lindstrom. We were we the entire Mercedes Benz Stadium was shocked. Uh, <laughs> Calvin Ridley, uh, we, we were all shocked at it. I was a little less surprised just by the talent of Calvin Ridley. I thought he was a top ten talent in that draft, and for him to be at twenty six, uh, I don't mind the luxury pick. Uh, Keanu Neal was someone we were looking at possibly in the second round, and we took him in the first round. It rarely ever happens. Vic Beasley is the only player where you you knew that they were going to take him. Yeah. And that worked out so well. (laughs) Actually, it might be a better – it might be a good idea for them to shock us again. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, so, so, so true. All right. So, with that said – um, we've come to the close of this Falcoholic podcast and I want to thank Adnan Ikic and Dave Choate for joining me on this episode and uh, previewing this, what could be a very, very interesting 2020 NFL draft with it being completely virtual uh, with these GMs apparently having been born in the 1800s and not knowing how the internet works and that confounding them. Uh, this is going to be uh, an interesting time. And, and certainly with the Falcons, with, with Trader Thomas, uh, God knows that uh, they can make a splash on draft night. Of course, you will find the coverage at thefalcoholic.com uh, and the Falcoholic Live, as well as here on the podcast, we will try to get episodes out with quick analysis for whatever happens in the draft, whether they trade up, stay put, 
shock us all by trading back. Uh, you will find our coverage all over. Just look for the Falcolic and uh, you, you will find that, that coverage. So Dave, please tell our listeners where they can find you and what you've got going on. Um, they can find me at the Falcoholic, which is uh, our website. It's the one that you're listening to the podcast for right now. Um, obviously up on the draft stretch here. So we will have a ton of draft stuff. I know Kevin's going to take a look at uh, positional needs. I know everybody's writing draft profiles. We're taking a look at, you know, past picks. So we're excited for it. It might be the last thing on the NFL calendar that actually goes off when it's supposed to. Um, so that's, it's, it's all we got, baby. So, um, you can check us out on Twitter at the Falcoholic as well. Um, we'll have lots of scathing jokes for other teams. And then when the Falcons make their pick, we will have no jokes for them, even if they deserve it. <laughs> oh, fair enough. Adnan, same question. Where can we find you? What you've got going on? Uh, well, you can find me at Say Which Way on Twitter. Uh, I do most of my social media on Twitter because it is the best social media out there. Um, Check check out the Falcoholic, like Dave said. Uh, We're an absolute one-stop shop uh, with everything. Check out the Falcoholic live show. Check out more of these podcasts. Um, I'll be starting up a roundtable for each of the writers to do their own mock drafts. Uh, That'll be coming up. We did it last year for the first three rounds, and this year we'll do it again for the first three rounds where we'll try to get as many um, writers as possible to make their first-round selections, pretending that they are the general manager of the Falcons, and <laughs> there's not going to be any trading up. So it's it's already going to be a failure from the start because we know that the Falcons are going to make a move. We just can't know like uh, up until which pick. But, um, yeah, so we'll have that roundtable going leading up to the draft next week. So keep an eye out for that. Absolutely. Uh, as for me, guys, you can file, find me on Twitter at FalcoholicDW. You can find our podcast Twitter account at FalcoholicPod where you'll get updates whenever a new episode becomes available. And of course, you can find our articles daily uh, with our fantastic stable of writers from Dave Chode all the way down at thefalcoholic.com. So for Dave Choate, the Falcoholic himself, Adnan Ikic, this is David Walker. Thank you guys for tuning in. We'll talk with you next time.